It's Dr. Seuss Podcast. With me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. That's you. Yep, I'm a community-based practicing obstetrician. Is it common? And longtime advocate for birth choices and informed consent. And I'm here as usual with the best sidekick in the business, my friend, the mysterious one, Liz Young. Hello, Hi, good morning. Yeah, see, now they can see us, so they, it's not the same intro. I don't have to change the intro. <laughs> Anyway, we're happy to, happy to be back with you. This is Fireside Chat number 10, I believe, or non-Fireside Chat. Why did we call it the Fireside Chats? Because when we started, it was March, mm-hmm. and it was chilly, and we sat by your fireplace. We did, right. but it's been a long time. Yeah, and you can find us at com, which is our website. You've obviously found us either on Facebook at Dr. Stu's Podcast or on Instagram at Birthing Bliss Midwifery. Yes. Right. And you can email me at askdrstu at gmail.com. And you can email bliss at birthingbliss at not hotmail anymore. What is it now? Bliss at birthingbliss.com. And you should check out my website. I got to fix that. Birth at birthing bliss. Um, my assistant scout uh, did a whole bunch of really cool things. I do all my scheduling online now. I was thinking this might be something you might want to do. Your scheduling of what? My appointments. Oh. They go online. They pick what they want. All my op. Right. And the Zoom thing is super cool because it gives them a Zoom link. And then all I have to do is go on to Zoom and they're all there, right there. I don't have to send them anything. It's awesome. I, I may consider that. I mean, I do have a secretary. Yeah. Got to give her something to do. You would need her. Yeah, but, well, I, I, you know, that's like getting rid of your... your, your friend or your sister i guess i get that i mean chrissy's been with me for like 25 plus years i get that so i can't do that so here we are hi good morning everybody good morning hannah good morning brie good morning uh who's on yours uh, mini life <laughs> i know i don't know what to see my <laughs> minor names come up yours uh yours i don't know who these people are i know i'm like hi justice t- 20 t- 2011 no 211 that might be the year she graduated that's five. Got five digits. Oh, <laughs> that's true. Okay. Um, so again, you can you can send us your uh, comments today. I've got uh, got a lot to talk about. Had yeah. Several births since last week. Not me. Had this one. Yeah, the T-shirt. You told us that the last. Yes, week I know, but I finally wore it today. Yeah, it says "Born simply, born safely, born at home." I love it. Yep. Love it. Was it, love it. it was great. It was great. It was a really nice private birth, and since Good that morning. time. I've also had a um, breech birth, mm-hmm. and I also had a diabetic mom at birth, and it, we had a VBAC after three C-sections who ended up having to be transferred. Um, she ruptured her membranes, she was GBS positive, and after 32 hours plus, she was still not in labor. So we felt that the safest thing to do was to transport her, but in comes some of the COVID dilemma, um, where we would normally transport her to for a gentle natural cesarean section with our friend Dr. Chavira, they're not letting the fathers in the operating room now. Ooh, shit. Right. There's a lot, several hospitals. We called several hospitals to find out who's letting the fathers in, and we finally settled on uh, UCLA Santa Monica, but uh, they would not augment her. They would not um, give her Pitocin because she's had three previous C-sections. Which, if you think about it logically, makes no sense at all. None. All right? 
they'll let her labor, but they won't augment her. So in other words, they don't want to, I mean, their, their thinking is we don't want to be responsible if she were to go on and rupture her uterus. Right. Right. But the woman is consenting to doing that. Right. The woman wants you to do that and they won't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the risks are small and ACOG supports the risk with VBAC after two C-sections. There just isn't any data on VBAC after three C-sections. And so rather than honor this woman's request and give her informed consent and have her sign a consent form, they wouldn't let her do it. So she struggled and labored for 12 hours there. And finally, labor just never really got going. And so she ended up having a repeat C-section. That's unfortunate. Right. How's her heart? How's her heart? Yeah, how's she doing emotionally? Oh, um, it's been very hard yeah. for her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, we haven't, we, um, I haven't seen her postpartum yet. My team went to see her one time when I was down at a birth in Orange County. They went. And that was a diabetic, which I'll talk about in a second, because that was kind of cool. Um, but uh, she was hard and she was struggling with pain, pain relief. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very reluctant nowadays to give opiates to anybody because of the stigma of giving opiates. So now you have surgical patients going home with, you know, Tylenol. 10 pills and, and some ibuprofen, maybe 10 oxycodone, but no refills, no nothing. And it wasn't touching her. Oh. Um, so I did write her a prescription for something a little stronger uh, because, I mean, she had major surgery and yeah. she's in a lot of pain. Yeah. And when you're in a lot of pain, you don't move. And when you don't move, you put you more at risk for problems uh, uh, in your recovery. So, um, yeah, we're going to see her tomorrow, and we'll see how she's doing. Obviously, she's thrilled with her baby. Her baby was her biggest baby. It was eight and a half pounds. Mm -hmm. um, but there was really, you know, to me, the idea that they won't, in a hospital setting where you have an OR right there, they're still not going to honor her request to try to get her the vaginal delivery that she so desired. Yeah. And her story was it's hard. typical. With her first C-section probably not being necessary, or second being a repeat, and then you know it spiraled out of control from there. So um, anyway, that's the story with her, and so that was a little bit disappointing because I've had really good success in my practice. Not a lot of numbers, but good success with be back after two and be back after three, um, having successful vaginal births. So there's a great story on my on the testimonial page on my website from a woman from, from um, I think she's from Ghana, uh, where in Africa, if you haven't had a vaginal delivery, you are stigmatized by the other women in the community. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've heard that before, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So had, she had a C-section in Ghana, and then she had the misfortune, I've told this story before, but because I know I remember, <laughs> I remember the stories. I guess, I, I guess when you reach my, this point in your career, you've told a lot of stories over and over again. But anyway, uh, she she had the misfortune of moving to Oxnard, California, where they told her that VBAC was illegal. Mm -hmm. Not that it was not recommended, not that it was not appropriate in their hospital, that it was illegal. And her husband worked for the, um, the, the, he was a bright guy, he worked for the consulate, and she was a very bright, educated woman. And they went along with it because they didn't know, and they had a second C-section and a third C-section. And then they found out more information, they found me, and they ended up having a five-hour labor and delivered at the sanctuary, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that. Got a speeding ticket from a cop <laughs> coming down PCH from Oxnard. Uh, 
That's a little bit of an interesting thing in the time we're living in that a cop would give this couple from Ghana a speeding ticket when the wife's in the back seat moaning in labor. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Uh, anyway, they had a great outcome, and she writes about it in uh, on my on my blog part of my or my uh, on my website on the uh, testimonial page. So it's a good story. Um, okay, so that's VBACs, right? Anything you got to report before I go into something else? You had a birthday. I did have a birthday. Wish, wish Doctor Stu a happy birthday. He celebrated his birthday by delivering a baby, of course. Yes. Little, and then you got to hang out with your family, though. That sounded really beautiful. Little Carmen, yeah. Little Carmen was nice enough to come around four in the afternoon. Very polite. So I, um, it was a thrill, though. It was the family was great. She, this was a type one diabetic, and everyone knows that type one diabetes is still treated as mm -hmm. something extremely risky and dangerous in the medical world. They actually still follow some of the protocols that were in place before they had the, you know, continuous glucose monitoring and insulin, you know, implants that people can have, which can really control their blood sugar better. Mm -hmm. Used to be when we were doing diabetics, they'd be on an insulin drip and we would dial it up and dial it down depending on their blood sugar. We have to finger stick them every hour and we'd have a little chart on the door and we'd have to write in the numbers and We'd, every, every diabetic would get induced by 38 weeks. They'd get an amniocentesis to be sure their lungs were mature, and then they would get induced. Wow. I don't think a lot has changed with that. I think that they use that same kind of fear they do with twins, that the risk of stillbirth is going to rise dramatically, and therefore you need to be induced at 38 weeks. And this woman wanted none of that stuff. Can you say more about the risk for stillbirth with um, diabetes? Well, I don't know exact numbers, but it's very similar to the risks I think with twins is that the risks do go up, but the actual risk is still quite small. And if you're doing testing on these babies. The same testing? Biophysical profile mm -hmm. and, and a woman, by the way, this is a woman who's in was in great control. Her hemoglobin A1C was better than yours and better than mine. How do you know what my A1C is? I'm just saying, <laughs> it was under five, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. She had great control. She was a perfect candidate. I've had several of these women now um, who have mm -hmm. wanted this process because they don't want to be induced. They know what that leads to. And then, of course, in the hospital, when the baby is born to an infant of diabetic mother, it's almost a guarantee that that baby will then go to the NICU right. for observation. For, for sugars, right? Yes. Yeah. Even if the baby seems fine, it mm -hmm. still has the protocol that says they have to go. So there's separation, and of course, in the time of COVID, you know, other family couldn't be there. This woman had her her mother was there, some of her friends were there, her husband obviously was there, and it was a really nice, yeah, peaceful thing in the bed. Um, she worked really hard. She got she got it done. And the baby sugars were fine the entire time. We did uh, a couple of heel sticks on the baby. Uh, we also had frozen milk, mm -hmm. which we talked about before for our diabetics. Um, and then when the baby does latch, we do supplemental feeding with a little tube and we stick it in the baby's mouth and you slowly inject a little bit of milk as they're sucking. Even if the, the sugars are fine, just as a preventative? Well, it, what's really interesting about her, she, her blood sugar had been in unbelievably good control. And throughout labor, it was around 100. And then once she started pushing, it went up to 130. And then it went up to 140. And the little monitor says 140 going up. I don't know how it knows that. It just knows that mm -hmm. somehow it's a very smart little machine mm -hmm. and then it was 150 and then it was 170 wow. and then it was 180 and then they got up to 196 
That's the highest she'd been in years. So it just kind of shows you that what the, what adrenaline and exertion and stuff can do to a woman's blood sugar. But we were able to, again, she kept giving herself dosing and it was still creeping up. So at that point, we sort of decided because she was exhausted too, we helped the baby out with the vacuum. But, but um, she, you know, it was what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And then everything was fine afterwards. Her sugars took a while to come down. It took about 24 hours for her sugars to come back to normal. But the baby was always between 60 and 80, mm-hmm. which were really good numbers. Who's the Ventura midwife? Sounds like a birth we did together in Ventura, which was also perfect. Yes, that was, well, that, that woman's name was Kristen. Um, uh, you're putting Re- me on the spot now. Reveal yourself so yeah. we know who you are. I know who it is. Ventura midwife, and we can't. It's with Kristen, know. and I'm trying to, uh, oh, God. Ventura <laughs> midwife, t- type in your name. <laughs> <laughs> she will. Okay, sure. keep going. Um... Yeah, and actually, I think this woman spoke to Kristen, uh, our client. Mm. I'm going to kick myself when I can't. When I, when the, when of course, I it's, just, the name. it's just a. I can even pick, I can picture her. I picture the birth. I remember the birth totally. It's just the number of It was great. Words. Okay. All right, so that distracted me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, it can be done. And it's like a lot of things that can be done in medicine. Things are done. Melissa. Right, Navarro. Mm-hmm. Hi, Melissa. Sorry. Hi, Melissa. I'm bad. <laughs> I'm bad. I forget a lot of stuff these days. I know. Nobody blames us. We're good at what we're good at, but we forget names. Yeah. Forgive us. Um, but so many things that are being done in the hospital don't need to be done in the hospital. And yet, obviously, they're still in that mindset. And now they're even more rigid with the, with the coronavirus and everything that's going on. I mean, I, I just don't understand why they're so narrow-minded and closed-minded to, the, to options like the VBAC who they wouldn't give Pitocin to, or like a diabetic who they feel like that baby has to be born in the hospital because there might be some problem. Right? Mm-hmm. But, but with, modern, with modern technology, the ability to give, um, you know, in the, in the hospital, they, if the baby needed something, they would probably start an IV, right? Maybe give, they may give formula, but parents don't want to give formula. But frozen milk in a hospital is hard to, it's hard to arrange. Yeah. So um, there's people need to think out of the box, especially now. If you want to avoid a hospital birth, you don't have to go just because you're hypertensive or just because you're diabetic. Well, but, they don't have a lot of options. No, they don't. Well, yeah, because midwifery, it's... Well, it's, the laws in midwifery, yeah. right. They don't. Yeah. They have you, but there's not a lot of you. But we don't have a lot. We don't, and we don't have a powerful lobby to push them... Um, to make changes either. Yeah. So tell us also about your about your time with your kids. Your, your well, I will. I will in a second because oh. right along this topic, the other woman that contacted me from Idaho, she had two previous C-sections. Mm-hmm. And I was involved with her third baby who she had a beautiful home age back. Okay. Um, now she moved to Idaho. The same Idaho that wouldn't let my twins do her vertex, vertex, multi mm-hmm. twins. Mm-hmm. She can't find anybody who's willing to allow her to have a VBAC, even though she's already had a VBAC. Because Idaho law prevents midwives from doing more than one VBAC after one C-section, even though she's already had a VBAC. That's ridiculous. It shouldn't so, even be con- really, well, I guess it is considered a, a VBAC. And she, so she also said that the midwives there were, were also mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of rigid and medicalized yeah. because yeah. the first thing that came out of there 
was when she went to interview with one, she said, well, let's talk about the elephant in the room, uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. That's what the midwife said. Started there. with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what she led with, mm-hmm. according to the woman. And I, she has no reason to not tell me the truth. Yeah. So we have this going on everywhere. And even in the midwifery community, everybody's getting more fearful, more nervous. Uh, uh, you know, something's got to give here in our culture. Yeah. We're going to give up all our liberties if we don't start to have a little more trust in, in ourselves and in our, in the processes and taking and, and understanding that fear, while good for certain things like telling us to, you know, not do certain th- activities or, you know, or when you walk in a house and you think somebody's been in your house, you have that reaction to get out of your house or whatever those that sort of fear is good. But overwhelming fear is horrible. Yeah, it's not good for your health. It's not good for living life. It's um, it's debilitating. Right. Okay. You have to trust nature too. Yes, and it isn't always going to work well. But but the alternative isn't working well either. No. <laughs> okay. And then, you're, and then you're living your life from fear all the time. Right. Well, yeah. it's kind of like it's kind of like without getting into too deep into the topic. Maybe we will before the end of the hour. But it's kind of like the lockdown. It's like okay. So we don't want anybody to get sick and die, all right? But but our society is getting sick and dying, all right? So we're you know we 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 cured the disease and we killed the patient. Um, that's what's going on. Yeah, I so agree. I had a great time with my family. They brought Wood Ranch and we had a picnic. Wood Ranch's barbecue, yeah. Uh, and then you had a picnic up near the horses. Up at the horses, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we stayed later to to uh, watch for the comet and we were able, able to see the comet that's cool not with a naked eye but with binoculars and it's still out there if anybody wants to go out in the next few days right at sunset around in you know half an hour 45 minutes after sunset maybe an hour later if you look and you find the big dipper and you look at the the front two stars of the big dipper the lower one at the bottom of the pail it's about one fist below that just to the left, you can see two bright stars, and just to the right of the two bright stars is the comet, which you can see very clearly with binoculars. And it's a little bit to the down and left of the lower star on the How much longer? I heard through the end of the month. Oh, cool. And it's like 400 years or? 6,800 years. 6,800 years will all be long, long, long dead. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be around. <laughs> I'm planning to still be here. I'm planning to be here. I'm not, in, in another, by the in, way. In another version of myself. Okay. Right. Very, very wild. Yeah, I watched a really sweet movie last night that I'd never heard of. Hmm. It's called Burn Your Maps. Mm, no, never heard of it either. Yeah. Yeah. It's about a little kid who, whose family loses their little baby daughter, and he believes that he's a Mongolian, and he wants to go to Mongolia. And the, there's a the drama between the mother and the father and the sister and they end up going to Mongolia. It's a very sweet movie. People should think about watching it. Okay. It helps people deal with loss as well. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe I will. I think you should watch it. <laughs> okay. I'll right. watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it, so was, it, was, want, on, it was on uh, cable. I mean, like HBO or something like that. you want to hear about my week? I'm going to tell about my week. I do want to hear about your week because I want to scroll through and see. So I finished Puzzle. I'm missing one piece. I hate that. That sucks. When you finish a puzzle that you've been working on and you're missing a piece. So that's a bummer. 
Um, uh, I had a secondary exposure, which is a thing, to COVID. Yes. So, <laughs> you see how um, you see how nervous I am. And I looked it up. Well, we had already been together that same I sent you night. some stuff too. Yeah. I think, so yeah. we looked it up, and um, if you had contact with somebody who had contact, it's called secondary exposure. So the let's say the grandma tested positive, and I was with the parents. Um, so she came to visit and took three tests. One before she got here, one when she got here, and one when she went home. The one when she went home was positive after being on a packed airplane. Um, we didn't know. And according to the CDC, I didn't have to self-quarantine. It wasn't enough of exposure to self-quarantine, but I felt the responsibility to give my clients informed consent, as I do with everything else. A um, couple of mamas that are due, one of those mamas decided that they wanted to hire another midwife. So that was disappointing but you know everybody has to do what they feel comfortable fear. with fear yeah irrational well it's irrational it was their fear and she had a physical reaction and that's how she felt like she needed right. to solve it for herself but you know of course it's disappointing you invest a lot of time and energy into supporting somebody and then you're not going to be there so that's disappointing um and then um the other family is just we're going to do a um a Zoom call and one of my lovely midwives, Nancy Beta, is going to go over and be my hands um, just to take the, the most precautions possible. That's what made them feel comfortable. And then um, my client uh, just did their test and they're both negative. So that's great. I'll do my test on Tuesday, which Wednesday will be two weeks. And so I've really been kind of mainly home. Yeah. Well, you're also sort of in a gap with your care, too, which is good, right? You didn't really have anybody. Really do. Really do. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They're in People that early, dates, yeah. early dates right. window, luckily. Um, well, if you test positively, you let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. No symptoms. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's all good. Well, I only have one more birth left, and then I have in the month of August off. Nice. A lot of people are taking August off. Yeah, it just it, it just worked out that way. It's funny. I had like six people do this month. I have seven people do in October. I only have two in September right now, but I had nobody in August. It's just, okay, great. Where are you going to go? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, which okay. is kind of nice in a way, and, but it's disappointing because there's no place to go. You know, lots of people no, no, like big no, 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 I know that. I was oh, like... Okay. You know, I can't travel overseas. No. I have a month off. I could go anywhere. Yeah. All right. Can't go overseas. Talked to my sister. Thought about, well, I'll drive to Minneapolis and visit my family. But then I thought, well, maybe my family won't want to visit with me. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's happening. Mm -hmm. Is my, you know, some of my family members are older and they have medical issues and they won't yeah. probably socialize. And some of my family members have young children. And even though young children don't get sick from this, they're overprotective to them. So I would drive to Minneapolis to, to see nobody <laughs> and, to, and, to, uh, and to quarantine in my sister's basement for two weeks, mm -hmm. which I don't want to spend two weeks in my sister's basement. No, so. I don't, I don't think I'll be going to Minneapolis either. So this is a, this is a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No one's coming to visit me for the same reason. <laughs> they're like, well, wait. Well, I, I, first go I look forward to our visits every Friday because, yeah, it's you don't get a lot of human contact other, other than work. I know. Um, and you guys, I mean, you're human contact, even though we can't 
We can't touch you. Yeah, I got. I want to just say something to Hannah. She asked, "Are antibiotics not an option for GBS at home?" Yes. Yes, they are, and we did give her antibiotics. Yes. But what happened after thirty plus hours of not being in labor is you start to look at the whole process. Her cervix was thick. All right. In this particular case, she was not in labor, and we're thinking, okay. What are the odds of her actually going into labor, having a vaginal delivery at home versus what are the odds of her not going to labor or going to labor, stalling out, ending up being transported and then going to the hospital after she's been ruptured for 60 hours and having the hospital go bananas on her baby and have the baby in the NICU because even though she'd been on antibiotics, she'd been ruptured for that long and being separated from her baby was, was probably her greatest anxiety. So we weighed everything together and the fact that, you know, knowing her history and all that stuff with her previous section, sections and everything, we thought that would be best to go. And initially we thought there was an option of being in, uh, augmented at the hospital and sort of that sort of tipped the scales. And then once she got there, they sort of pulled back on their option of letting her... The doctor was going to do it, but the chairman of the department came in and said, no, you, no way. So there was a overruling going on, right? Which is, a, which is, you know, what happens. It's what happens at so many hospitals. I remember we were going to have a breach program at California Hospital here in downtown Los Angeles. We had three or four doctors in the group that were on board. They would always been on call. And then somebody from corporate came and mixed the whole thing. Right. Okay. So what else does it say here? Yeah, and as a lawyer, you know, as a human being, I'm really tired of doctors incorrectly pontificating on the state of the law. Yeah, me too. Uh, Nisha, yep. tell us what so, you mean. Jessamine need. has the same birthday as me, which is nice. Who? Jessamine. Oh. Happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Sweet sister. Nancy has the most amazing mom group. It must be Nancy Beta, right? Nancy's amazing. Uh, she's amazing. So yeah, check Nancy Beta out. I don't, I don't know about it, if she's doing it. Hannah, do you know she's doing it virtually? Um, yeah, that would be great. Uh, Nisha, let us know what advice and help you're looking for. Um, so I did get a question. Hi, Aaron. I did get a question yesterday that I told them I would talk about it today live before you jump into all your stuff. Well, we've, we've gone through some of the stuff. Um, right? They wanted, they just said um, that they're 25 weeks pregnant and thinking about switching to home birth and wanted to know best resources to find out about home birth and um, finding a good, in big letters, midwife. So I, I don't know exactly what that means, good midwife, but I feel like a lot of people have different uh, parameters on what would make a good midwife for them. So I think, you know, midwives like to say there's a midwife for everyone. So it's very individual what, what's important to you. You could want somebody who's really hands-off and more spiritual and less medical. You could really want someone who is very skilled, comes from a medical background, um, maybe is able to transport into the hospital, can take your insurance, maybe cost is a big deal to you. Um, maybe someone who's delivered a few babies naturally at home before. So that's all very personal in terms of, right? You want to add anything about what makes a good midwife? How do you find a good midwife? No, because all midwives have good qualities. Yeah. And every woman has different desires and needs. Yeah. So somebody who's really 
hands off, touchy feely, that sort of thing may not be the right midwife for a certain person. Right. So you may not be considered a good midwife. Right. right. In that setting. Right. 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 Whereas in you know, I mean, so you know, I, I don't, I don't particularly. I'm sure that everybody knows somebody who know, might know somebody who knows a bad midwife. But the lo- the community in Southern California, I think, is really blessed with good midwives. Different. The but midwives skilled. are all very different. You but skill, yeah, yeah. And in terms of resources for um, home birth, there's not like one particular like website. Like we have like VBAC facts for VBACs, or you know, we don't really have like a resource for information for home birth, right? That you could think of. I can't. I can't no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, uh-uh. but there are a couple of documentaries that we like to recommend. Of course, Ricky Lake's Business of Being Born, which talks about why you might want to not deliver in the hospital and choose a home birth option like Ricky Lake, our friend did. Um, and then also, um, why, why, why not, not home? home, which is about five different five physicians or healthcare workers who in the same hospital who work in a hospital. I think it was, was it in Portland? I don't know. Yeah. It was somewhere in the Northwest and they all, um, gave their story about why they wanted to deliver at home. Some did and some ended up being transferred, but, but they, I think one ended up being transferred, but they all gave their story as to why, even though they work in a hospital, you know, in a labor and delivery area that they chose to give their birth at home. So that's a good, good resource. And then websites, reading your website, reading my website, those help to give information. I have lots of thing, links on the resources page. So you can go from, if you want to do research, you can go from link to link to link and you'll Get a lot of information out Yeah, there. and interview multiple midwives in your area. Um, know what is important to you. Ask those direct questions and, and make sure that it feels like a good fit for you. And again, um, I think that's a very individual choice. Yeah, and then I also wrote a paper once called Home Birth with an Obstetrician, which just gave an example of my first 135 home births and some statistics and, and, and how we, you know, patient selection and that sort of thing. So that's a, you can, they can find that on the banner, top banner on my on my webpage. Great. Okay. Moving on. Hi, Aaron. I have um, some interesting things. Again, a little bit more on the COVID stuff. A um, couple positive things that have, that have been noted recently. The anecdotes, hard to really pin it down. There was a study that came out that showed that people infected with COVID, uh, well, not people, they did this in primates, all right? Uh, they, they were infected with COVID virus. They recovered then they, they exposed them to another another dose of, of the um, virus, and they showed that they had immunity. Mm-hmm. So there's always this question of, well, if you get it once, can you get it again? Mm-hmm. So there's some good evidence out there that's saying that if you've had it, you, you might be more, it's beginning to look like you might be protected against getting it again, which is then going to throw a monkey wrench into the whole vaccine issue. Because will the vaccine be as effective as people who already had it? And will people who already had it be mandated to get a vaccine? If you've already had it, why would you get a vaccine? So, but I don't see the, I don't see the legislators that make these laws going to be that nuanced. They're going to, they're going to make a law. They're going to say everybody needs to be vaccinated. Follow the money. Well, I, I know why. I'm just saying that. I the, just have to say it out loud. They, but they always say follow the science, but of course they never follow the science. Mm-hmm. They always make stuff up. Another interesting thing that's been pointed out to me in an article that I think my partner sent me was that um, during the time of COVID, there's been less NICU admissions. 
Yeah, that one's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I what I heard was less preterm labor. Right. Yeah. Well, NICUs are less full. Yeah. With preterm babies, so yeah. why is there less preterm labor now? You know, the couple simple theories are is because people are staying home and not doing much. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, less stress, but I don't think so. <laughs> well, yeah, less exposure to other things. I mean, people are, you know, they're, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon that, it's a very interesting that one. there's been less prematurity in the last four to six months than there has been in other years during the same period of time. Yeah, very interesting. Right. Um, Amanda asked about Rogam. Go back to last week's live. We talk all about Rogam, Amanda. Um, it'll give you a lot of great information about it. Thanks for joining us today, though. Yeah. 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 We talked about it last week. We did. We talked about the percentages and all that. Stuff. Yeah. Risks are small. Okay. And congratulations on your home birth. And then I just want to talk about um, uh, the breech birth that I did. Um, I assisted the woman, the baby's heart. You were there, so... We already talked about it. Yeah, but we didn't... Did we talk about the injury? We did, but maybe you want to give an update? No, it's slowly getting better, but it's it's still... We did talk about that. Okay, never mind. I had it, I had it down on one of my topics. Check. We did that last week. Okay. Um, I did Thank have God. a question from someone. I had my waters broken when I was only one centimeter dilated oh, because great. the doctor was very persistent. I've told people... And they were shocked. What is your opinion on breaking water so early? I would never, ever, ever, ever do it. That's my opinion. <laughs> okay. Do you have an opinion? Yeah. That's, you do? I would, I would, in very, very rare circumstances, would you ever, ever consider doing that? Um, you know, somebody who, who may be very, very sick, like had an eclamptic seizure, and you really need to get them delivered. You might, you might do that, but but <clears throat> you'd probably just do a C-section. Well, that's actually the wrong thing to do. That's what people will do. Uh -huh. It's actually the wrong thing to do. Okay. To do a C-section on somebody who has severe preeclampsia is putting them at more risk. Oh, okay. Well, that's definitely more your expertise. Because first that. of all, a lot of them have low platelet count, mm -hmm. so they're more likely to have bleeding. Bleeding. Mm -hmm. It's it's you know anesthesia is more stressful. Doctors generally, if they have a low platelet count, are not going to give them an epidural, so you have to have general anesthesia. The, you know, the last thing you want to do, and then the recovery is slower and there's more problems. The last thing you'd like want to do with somebody who's severely preeclamptic is is do a section on them. But that's the first thing that a lot of doctors go to. Mm -hmm. They just want the baby out. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, and that and other doctors I know well, um, those people will labor more quickly. Uh, for whatever reason, the body knows mm -hmm. if you give them uh, induction or pitocin, mm -hmm. you know, you can't give them um, certain medications you wouldn't give them that can raise their blood pressure, but you could use Cytotec, you could use Pitocin and you get them into labor. But I don't know any reason really to, to rupture someone's membranes at one centimeter. Um, if there's, unless there's a se severe problem and you want to, maybe you want to get a fetal scalp electrode on, or you want to, you know, cause you, cause you don't, you can't monitor the baby or something like that in that way but other than that i can't really think of any no we we would not support that but if there's something special about um you being in a high risk category you should let us know but in a normal woman laboring even if you were laboring for a long time that would not be the recommended way to augment your labor and when you say you had your waters broken were you were you were you given an option or did he just do it 
or did he, you're saying he was very persistent. Mm -hmm. So I suppose. You consented under duress. Correct. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, Taylor asks, what was the name of the second documentary? It's called Why Not Home. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember who the, um, who the filmmaker was, but I can't remember. I don't know. Search it. We can Great. do fearless pregnancy. I've got a couple letters to read too. You want to do a letter first? Yep. Okay. Um, let's do this one. All right. This is from Corinne in Orange County, California. I gave birth to identical twins in March of 2019. I had a very smooth pregnancy and went into spontaneous labor at 37 weeks and five days. Baby A was head down and baby B kept flipping from head down to breach due to too much fluid throughout my pregnancy, or what we call polyhydramnios. When I went into labor, baby B was head down. My OB said he would allow me, there's that word again, sure. to deliver baby B breach if I would agree to the epidural. He was the only doctor I could find who would allow the breach delivery, so I agreed. After delivering baby A, baby B flipped transverse, and the doctor attempted a breach extraction. Baby's arm was above her head and caught on the pelvis, so he broke her arm in order to get her out. All right, that's how she's explained it. I don't think he broke her arm in order to get it out. I think the arm broke in the process of getting it out. Although, on rare occasions, breaking an arm is a reasonable thing to do, in the sh like in the shoulder dystocia or something. We you were taught a clavicle. the clavicle. Right. Yeah. Breaking, breaking a femur, there's, there's no indication to ever purposely breaking a femur bone. I mean, a, a humerus bone. Uh, I hemorrhaged about an hour after giving birth and had a very hard recovery. I was wondering if you think the extraction was necessary or if baby might have turned if they, have had, if they would have had time. Potentially, it depends on what was happening with baby's heart rate. Yeah, my feeling is, and I think what I wrote her back was that I think that, that certainly when you have a baby in a transverse or unusual lie, that um, with a second baby, whether the heart rate is normal or not, the model by which doctors are trained with twins and the fact that he was willing to assist you or allow you to have a breech birth uh, with a second twin meant that he was skilled or he knew what to do. And reaching up and pulling out a baby that's transverse or breech in the second with the second twin is a reasonable approach. And and getting in a brachial plexus injury or a broken clavicle or even a broken arm is a known complication of that. So if he thought it was the best thing to do at the time, again without more information or specifically I couldn't comment on whether he could have waited longer. But generally with babies are sideways and you go into and at that point with too much fluid. You could break the bag of waters, which is probably what he had to do, obviously, to get the baby out and see what, how the baby would come down. But once the bag is broken, if the baby's transverse or breech, it's probably not going to turn the head down and pull it out. It is the right thing to do, or at least that's the way I was trained as well. So that's that's what I told her. Yep. And uh, you, could, you could also talk to some midwives who specialize in twins in California. It's illegal, but there are other parts of the country where midwives specialize in twins and have done many, many, many of them. Um, so you could ask from a, a less medical trained perspective, um, you know, how that would be managed. Um, but from, the, a, from the, a medical perspective, that's common. And the fortunate thing about a broken hum uh, humerus is that they heal and they heal generally really, really well without any real issue. Um, you don't cast them, you don't do anything. You just sort of immobilize their arm, like pin the onesie to the, to the chest and, Give them like a yeah, obviously, if it's life saving, then that's that's something that doesn't seem as serious. But 
And, the, and then the, the hemorrhage with twins is actually not uncommon either. So, you know, um, it's hard to know how if that could have been handled or different or prevented um, because it is a common thing. So it sounds like you came out of it okay, and then even though your recovery was slow, you came out of it okay. And I, you know, you can't. No one can say in hindsight, or shouldn't be saying in hindsight, oh, I would have done it differently, because that's not right. Right. Okay. Right. Do you have another question? No, same same woman talking about her experience with the with the. Um, she said though, um, she wasn't given an option and. She was very healthy, being induced, but not much progress after 12 hours, and they thought it would speed things up. So I hear this all the time, breaking the water can speed things up. Um, it also doesn't enable your baby necessarily to make the right rotation. And I haven't in the hospital seen it be very successful in the many, many times it's been offered to my clients. So Yeah, um, Sammy, if you could tell us why were you being induced? She was healthy. She was just being induced. <laughs> and that after 12 hours, they wanted to break her bag at one second. Right. What they should have done is after 12 hours, they should have said, here's, it's some, not working. Here, here's some dinner, go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dinner, go your, home. Bo- your body's not Unless ready. there was a reason, but it sounds like there, you know, again, if there's a, if there was a medical reason that's different where the baby has to get delivered. Right. But if it's just because you're 40 weeks and six days or something like that, and they want the baby out, um, that would, that would have been a mistake. Right. You can let, how did it turn out? Do we know? Did you get a vaginal birth out of the deal? Resection? Um, other way. Other way. Other way. <laughs> other way. Yeah, you have to let us know. Let us know. Okay. Uh, should we do uh, preterm labor? Sure. Since we just talked about it. Sure. Going down. Okay. So we're doing our little fearless pregnancy chapter today. We're going to do a subject today. Story time. Pre-ter- premature labor. This again was written by me in 2004. Uh, with updated in 2010, so this is when I was still working in the hospital setting, and it's kind of fun for me uh, for us to look back and see a little time warp here of how I, Dr. Stu, managed things back in 2010 versus how I might do it now. Right? Premature labor. Simply put, this is defined as labor ensuing before 37 weeks. Labor is defined by medical personnel as progressive effacement, which is thinning and dilation of your cervix in response to regular uterine contractions. That's the standard definition. Of course, in order to define or in order to determine whether the cervix is effacing and, and dilating, you one has to do vaginal exams. In the midwifery model, we don't define labor that way. Hmm. How do we define labor? By watching the mom? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a trick question. No, regular contractions. And changes in vaginal discharge, bloody show. Right. Uh, we don't, but the standard definition would involve vaginal exams because that's how medicine works. It is not normal to have repetitive contractions or cramps early in your pregnancy. The most common causes of such uterine irritability are dehydration, a full bladder, and too much running around. <laughs> okay. If you feel yourself having bothersome regular contractions, you should go to the bathroom, empty your bladder, drink a glass or two of water or juice and lie down for about an hour. This alone will almost always alleviate your symptoms. If it doesn't, however, call your practitioner right away, even if it's two o'clock in the morning. Right. Premature labor is easier to arrest the sooner you catch it. You'll most likely be asked to go to the hospital 
or to the office to allow monitoring of your uterus with external belts. Your cervix will be checked to see if it's changing, and your practitioner may swab a sample from the back of your vagina to send for a fetal fibronectin test and a culture for bacteria. Do you ever still use fetal fibronectin much? No, I don't. You know what it is? Yeah. I, okay. Through working with you. Yeah, fetal fibronectin is a, is a protein that comes from the degradation of membranes. And when it's positive, excuse me, the, the negative predictive value of a test is, is fairly high. If you have a negative fetal fibronectin, the likelihood of preterm labor within the next two weeks is very small. A positive fetal fibronectin does not have great predictive value, although it makes people a little more nervous. Okay. Uh, and it's just a swab. You send it off to the lab and get it back in a few hours, I think. It's run as a stat test. Um, it goes on to say fetal fibronectin is a chemical that comes from fetal membranes and a negative test has strong correlation with not delivering in the next two weeks. A positive test, however, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have your baby soon and is therefore less useful. If premature labor is diagnosed and your practitioner believes the baby is better off remaining in the womb, you will probably be given medication in an attempt to stop your labor. If you've had a history of a previous preterm delivery or, or are at higher risk in your current one, you may be offered a weekly injectable medication called 17-hydroxyprogesterone caparate. Okay. Now, that, the data on that now has been refuted and doesn't seem to work. Back in 2010... It was, and it was actually very cheap. You could have it compounded, and then one one pharmaceutical company got the patent for it, and they started be charging over two thousand dollars a dose. Oh yeah, I for the that. for the generic, so you could have it compounded at a compounding pharmacy. This medicine seems to relax the uterus and prolongs pregnancies that have a predictable increased risk for premature labor. Where preg where progesterone does work um, is some women who have fibroids who have degenerating fibroids. They've given progesterone. Some people who think that they have um, um, a short cervix are sometimes given progesterone, but the data for preterm labor says that it doesn't generally stop it. Why would you give it for degenerating fibroids? Uh, because it tends to increase blood flow to them so they don't degenerate as much. Oh, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Other outpatient medications your practitioner may try include oral endomethacin, which is uh, anti-inflammatory, oral nifedipine or tributylene uh, by injection. If these fail, often you will be admitted to and given IV hydration and a meditation called magnesium sulfate on a continuous infusion. Antibiotics may also be recommended initially, and you may be asked to take a special steroid injection to help your baby's lungs um, get more quickly get ready to breathe air should the attempts to stop your labor fail. Sometimes there's a problem that defies medical attempts to keep your baby inside, and at other times conditions in the uterus may be so hostile that the baby will do better in the newborn care unit. Beyond 34 weeks, most newborns do quite well. Newborn specialists called neonatologists are remarkably adept at handling earlier preemies nowadays, although you may be frightened and disappointed and realize that if this happens, your baby will be in the hands of people who dedicate their lives to caring, bringing this positive energy with you to the nursery. That was really nice what I said. <laughs> Now I call it baby tail. Yeah, I call it baby tail now. <laughs> well, not, not for, for preemies. Not for preemies. No, 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 it's exactly where a preemie needs to be, and we're so thankful that, like, what, 24 weeks or something now is viable? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they'll have deficits and, and stuff in life, but a lot, but some babies are, are I remarkable. I think my friend's baby was 26 weeks, and it's doing great. 
Yeah, my my uh, cousin was born at 26 weeks back in the 70s. Wow. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and it's perfect. perfect. She was a miracle back then. She was a miracle baby. Miracle baby. At 26 weeks back in, 19, in the 70s was pretty remarkable. Anything else you would change about that? Knowing what you know now? Well, magnesium sulfate now is sometimes given because it, they find that it preserves the baby's brain. So even if um, when a baby is uh, in preterm labor, um, they, they'll try to give mag. Which makes you feel... Even if, even if they, maybe they've stopped the labor, they may give magnesium sulfate anyway because if they think the baby's going to come prematurely. And the antibiotics is in, is in case there's an underlying infection that's causing the contraction. Yes. That's why we would. So now. And for prematurity in general, they, 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 it's one of the things that they recommend giving antibiotics for. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not up to date enough at what the hospital protocols are now to tell you whether that's still done that way. But certainly that's the way it was done 10 years ago. Yeah. And so as home birth providers, um, if you, because you don't have access to a lot of those things anymore, what would you do if uh, you had a client now who you suspected was In pre having preterm labor? I sent her to the hospital. What, what would you do <laughs> to differentiate between her actually needing to go to the hospital and, and someone who... Um, well, I would try initially if they called me, I would say, okay... What's, how long, I take a little history, how long has it been going on for? Is your cervical discharge changing? Are you seeing any blood? Um, if they say no, 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 and I say, well, how often are the contractions coming? And I would ask, did you have a busy day? Did you have intercourse? I try to find a, a precipitating factor. If I couldn't find anything, and I thought that this was early, I would say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to empty your bladder, have a glass of wine and a large glass of water or juice, get off your feet and rest for an hour, and then let me know how things are going. If you fall asleep, that's great. Mm -hmm. If an hour from now, they're every instead of every five minutes, they're every fifteen minutes. Just give me a call, give me an update. But if they if they don't go away, then they have to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I would add in magnesium. Oh, oral magnesium. Yeah, I would. I would definitely add in. How how, how magnesium. you know how much to take? Is it just pills that they take? Or? Calm. I just usually oh, recommend calm. calm. Um, so take some because most of my clients are taking magnesium <clears throat> anyways for to help with regulating their bowels and sleeping and leg cramps. So most of them, not all, but I would tell them take a big dose of magnesium and take a, a warm bath. Those would be the ones I would yep. add in. Okay. There. Yeah. Um, because if if it's real, then the bath is not going to slow it down. Either is wine. Yeah. Or and or wine. Yeah. Um, one glass of wine is not going to hurt your baby. Um, so. Yeah, that would be my additional. Did you know that I almost came five months early? You might have told me at some point. Yeah. And do you know in 1971 what the doctor recommended my mom do? Drink. Drink a bottle of wine a day. Yeah. So that's what she well, in did. Well, in the 50s and 60s, they, before, they had, four months. before they had medication, they used to, women in preterm labor, they would start an IV and they infuse alcohol into your bloodstream. Yeah, that's what, much <laughs> right. what she did. In the middle of summer in uh, Encinitas, California, while my dad took off and frolicked. In and it just goes to show you that that <laughs> alcohol, first of all, the pen people think that alcohol is going to cause your baby to be brain damaged, okay? Well. The, <laughs> no, the truth is, is that it's we it can. Yeah. So we recommend against yeah. regular drinking of alcohol. But right. they, they looked at this, uh, this a long time ago, 
And women who drank at, at least a fifth of, of alcohol or whiskey a day, the, the, the number of babies, the percentage of babies born with fetal alcohol syndrome, was, which is what everybody worries about, was only 17%. So 83% of women who drank a fifth of whiskey or more a day did not have fetal alcohol syndrome. So the penetrance is really is, is not one-to-one. Phoenix says that she had a horrible experience with MAG. Yeah. And yeah, it is. It's awful. It makes it's you awful. can make you throw up. It makes you feel hot and flushed. And, yeah. And if you get overdosed with it, it can actually affect your respiratory rate, your breathing, yeah. your, your level of consciousness. So that's how they sort of monitor it. They monitor by checking your reflexes. Some hospitals, I don't know if they still do it, used to do MAG levels every four hours. The problem with a mag level is that you draw the mag level, it would take an hour or two to get the result back. Right. So it was already passed in, in time. It, it wasn't really helpful. Yet the hospitals had policies that said everybody on mag needs mag levels. Part of me believes, once again, the, the sinister part of me believes that the point of that was that they could then generate a lab test and then charge for a lab test. It didn't have any real clinical significance. You treat people based on, on, you know, are they alert? Are they breathing? Did they have two plus deep tendon reflexes? And now are there no deep tendon reflexes? That's how you can assess it rather than waiting for blood tests. But blood tests are objective and hospitals and doctors like objective things, even if it's after the fact, mm -hmm. which drives me crazy. Both. Boom. <laughs> All right. Born safely, born at home. Um, okay. So I have another letter. Aww. Okay. Well, let's just see. What'd you go she said she had no muscular control, including controlling my eyes. I felt like my body yeah. was sinking through the bed. That sounds awful. It sounds awful. It sounds like you had too much. I hope it worked. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's also used for preeclampsia as well as preterm labor. So. And um, right. high blood pressure. No? Don't they use mag for high blood pressure? Not just high blood. No. Not, oh. not usually. It's for preeclampsia. It's, it's to raise the seizure threshold. Okay. If a woman's just hypertensive, they'll give her anti They give her labetalol okay. or... Yeah, okay, so here's another letter. Um, this is from Dawn, who is a do uh, doula, certified doula, right? Right. Member of Dona. Hi, Dr. Stu. Hope you're well. I'm so honored to have known you long enough during my time in LA to have learned much from you. This podcast just comes as the most ironic and opportune time for me. This is the previous podcast, obviously. I'm currently expecting my third little one and was referred to a, a maternal fetal medicine specialist at 12 weeks, well, here come the gardeners. There they are. We should, we should learn their names. <laughs> For advanced maternal age and first trimester screening. Okay. Already, I'm already cringing. All, all was well. They told me how they were going to manage my elderly, yes, he called me elderly, about 15 times Ooh. in the course of about five minutes, high-risk pregnancy. According to ACOG, they are required to have me come for ultrasound weekly beginning at 26 weeks till 30 and then twice a week until I deliver. I was floored. I presented no other indication of high risk. I'm athletic. I have a normal BMI, my normal blood pressure, not diabetic, and delivered both my other twins vaginally, one unmedicated. How old is she? She doesn't say, does she? Well, she's over 35. Okay. <laughs> All right. Grandma. Um, all through the consultation, the MFM brought in two additional genetic counselors, three nurses, the ultrasound tech, and me. Seven of us in the little exam room. Meanwhile, he kept going on about the higher statistics for miscarriage, intrauterine fetal demise, fetal growth restriction, and stillbirth. Thank God I have been blessed to be a Benny doula, to know you and to have core knowledge to trust birth. 
I went to my next midwife appointment and told her what happened. She apologized, but I told her I was not going to accept their plan for managing my pregnancy and my birth as high risk solely based on advanced maternal age. Good for her. Good for her. And everybody listening should know the same thing and you should tell all your friends. <laughs> I knew exactly what you said in your recent podcast that the more they are looking, the more they are going to find. I felt they would not let me go into labor on my own and I'd be faced with a cascade of interventions I did not want for my final birth. We found midwives who do not consider me high risk at all, and I'm full of joy to beginning our home birth journey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wish there was a Dr. Stu here in Southeast Wisconsin. There is a midwife, Cynthia Calais, who's in Southeast Wisconsin, but it sounds like you found somebody good. Heck, I wish you were everywhere. Even Maybe then and only then would we, we wouldn't have the disparity in maternal health care we do. I'd like to think so, without sounding with too much hubris. I'd like to think if they put me in charge of a labor unit at a hospital, that the outcome would be remarkable. They would, if I could make, if I could write the policies. Yeah, and if right? midwives manage, here's our policy: we have no policy. <laughs> and if midwives managed the low risk moms, and then we just used obstetricians for what? What's the definition that I talk about, Stu, of obstetricians? Wait, say it again. I was I was reading. The the definition of an obstetrician is a doctor who specializes in pregnancy related illness, illness and problems, right? And surgery. And surgery. So, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So she says uh, she's the state Wisconsin state doula representative. Uh, she's been preaching our podcast. Thank you. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I just said. Thanks for uh, being a listener. I said, America in the 21st century and this generation, my generation, will be looked at back upon as one of the stupidest in history. So much is backwards. Keep spreading the word. Stoop. And let us know. We got. I got so many private messages last week about how people just love seeing us. Um, I got to that point in, at, on Instagram where I have to say goodbye soon. But um, give us feedback. Let us know. I know Stu's anxious to get back into the studio, but do you want us to continue to be live? Do you want to continue to be able to ask questions and see us? See well, my, I would like. I wouldn't mind doing. I wouldn't mind doing live from John's studio. Yeah, we could do that too. Because but then, we want to hear then from the you. Sound, then the sound would be better. Well, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. So we could do live from John's studio. Because then there's all this transferring that goes on. He has to download it from Facebook and then fix the sound and edit the. But don't intro. forget, we're going to be living in different places. I'll come to I'll come weekly to San Francisco. <laughs> but the other thing, the other thing too that we could we did when we were in John's studio is we could actually do more than one at a time. That's so, not live. No, I know that, but it's oh. good to have something where the weeks where we're not there, we could then have something. Yeah. To put into place. Yeah, I think. Because so, we have many, we, we went a whole like, whole month live. when I was in um, Utah. I, I did one by myself, but yeah. we went a whole month without doing anything. I know. We got to figure out a better thing. Thank you for joining us on um, Instagram. We're going to be wrapping up. Um, I'll look at your questions and answer them privately or address them next week. Um, I, we always love seeing you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Right. And you know, as I always say... We have lots of things we could do with an hour of our time during the day. And there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of other chores or things that you could be doing. So the fact that you spend an hour with us every Friday, hopefully every Friday. We're getting in, better. In Bliss's Kitchen. Um, <laughs> we're honored by that because we understand that um, 
the world is crazy right now. And we hope that we bring a little bit of sanity uh, to the birthing world and to some other common sense, some common sense to some of the other things too. All right, so go out and hug somebody, um, smile, pull your mask down when you're walking, smile at somebody, let them see your face. I think it's really important. I think that uh, that the, the everybody wearing a veil right now is not a good thing. It's sort of demeaning diminishes our humanity. It does. Make sure you say thank you to the people that are working and have to wear masks all the time. Um, it's really important for us to keep our humanity as much as we can, for sure. Okay, so we'll see you next time. Until next time, this has again been Dr. Stu's Podcast. You can find us at drstuespodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm at Birthing Instincts on, on, on uh, Instagram. Yep, and I'm Birthing Bliss Midwifery. And askdrstu at gmail.com and bliss at birthingbliss.com. That's right. Bye, Bye, you guys. Have a good week. See you next time.